Hello, welcome to the latest episode of Data Unchained. I'm your host, Molly Presley. What is this podcast all about? The paradigm for data access has changed. As the world has become more decentralized, as we've started to try to figure out how to get data to a remote workforce, applications became distributed across multiple data centers and maybe multiple clouds, the data management and data access has been, become a true challenge. Data Unchained digs into the challenges as well as the solutions to make data a globally available asset. Today, we're going to be delving into more of the public sector space and have some two really interesting guests. Bob Flores is the previous CTO of the CIA and a Hammerspace advisor, so part of our advisory board at Hammerspace. And Rob Renzoni just recently joined Hammerspace as the tra- director of technical sales. Um, I've had the pleasure to get to know both of you in various formats, um, Bob actually said I could introduce him as a sheik, but I felt like his CTO of CIA title actually sounded even cooler than that. Um, Bob, tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe how you came to the point where you're in an advisory position with some of the tech companies now. CTO at the CIA, you have everybody's brother kind of sell something to you. And, um, and when I made a decision to retire from government service, you, know, you kind of look around and figure out what you want to do. And, and I thought, well, I've been basically given advice to uh, startup companies for the last, you know, five, 10 years as CTO. And so why don't I just continue to do that and turn it into a consulting business? So, so that's what I did. Um, As, you know, luck would have it or the economy will have it. um, We entered right after that, we entered into this big cyber arena where everybody was all worried about, uh, you know, cybersecurity and all that. And, they were all coming at it from a, in my view, from the wrong perspective. And, and um, they, they were looking at how do we protect the network? How do we protect the network? And my view has always been, you know what? What you really need to worry about is how to protect the data. And so it's all about the data. And, you know, you're going to hear more about that here on this podcast, that it, it is all about the data. And from a security standpoint, if you protect the data, then everything else kind of falls into place. Awesome. Rob, you recently joined Hammerspace after a long time working at Quantum, but you've been in the federal space even back to your days in the Air Force. Um, Maybe talk a little bit about both your government experience as well as kind of the path that brought you here to Hammerspace. So I kind of started my career fresh out of high school in the Air Force, uh, jumped right into it and got deployed at the edge, right? So before the edge was even a thing and IoT was a word, um, I was out there doing signal and so you were a human work, sensor instead flows. of just being a digital sensor <laughs> exactly yeah so that that experience gave me some background in, in what was going on at the edge right and how the war fire fighters were operating out there but then as i moved over to industry got out of the military um, i accidentally found myself at a uh, ground station and where all the data was being collected and from there i i wound up becoming a vendor and gotten to the dark side of sales um and, uh, you know, started for the last two decades, been deploying and architecting data storage silos, more or less, um, because as a vendor, your, your kind of goal is to sell your stuff. And, and that's what most storage vendors did for the last couple of years is just sold, you know, massive storage arrays to whoever needed them. Um, so that's kind of how we got to this point, because I saw Hammerspace doing something unique, kind of changing the paradigm a little bit. And um, it excited me because some of the 
the nature of what we do is, you know, we need to share data more freely across everybody. It just enables us to uncover new initiatives. Um, we saw it with the health, you know, the COVID thing. We were able to develop a drug faster because it was more open environment for the healthcare community. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm here. <laughs> I find it interesting that this idea of has become about the data. Both of you brought this up in the introductions and this evolution of even now there's chief data officers, there's data architects, and that seems new just to me in the last couple of years. But I think really speaks to what you're saying that um, this has become the key focus is not how to store it or how to protect it on a network, but how do you actually take advantage of all this data that you have and protect that as an asset, just like you would any of your other assets. It's, it's an interesting change. So let's just use that to jump into the public sector and what are the big initiatives around data um, going on in the federal government um, in going into 2023? If you look at uh, the White House memorandums, they're, they're all about IT modernization initiatives. And then, of course, keeping up with the cyber threat is probably top of mind of every uh, CIO out there uh, because it's just a constant threat. But from the IT modernization pro- problem or issue, you know, the, over time... IT moved fast and Fed moved slow, right? The Fed procurement has been notoriously slow in public sector. Um, and it created this chasm that you have all these legacy systems out there and we're not moving as efficiently as we could potentially do it. Um, so that, that's kind of where I see public sector initiatives are, are driving to faster procurement, faster adoption of new technology, emerging technologies, uh, things of that nature, especially around AI. Um, we have to stay competitive with um, our adversaries, right, in that space particularly. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, how, how do we solve the challenge of instead of spending 90% of our federal IT budget on maintaining OPEX to keep legacy systems running, how do we modernize those quickly and efficiently? You know, I echo what Rob said um, in addition to that. Um, what we're seeing is is an environment that is very data driven, and it always has been. Uh, but because of limitations on compute, um, it's been difficult to be able to utilize all the data that you may have had at your fingertips. And so, with compute becoming more or less a commodity, and virtualization uh, really expanding. Um, then you, you get, you know, various software vendors that come in, and Hammerspace is one of those that can help solve this problem of access to data. So this is a wonderful thing, and and um, and the public sector is going to be all over this. So is it fair to say that because compute, even storage servers, has become more commoditized? that these IT modernization projects are going to be more about qualifying new types of software that will help them meet their goals? Or what will accelerate the modernization of Fed IT? So I think um, there, there's going to be several things that are going to happen here. One, advances in artificial intelligence. You know, to, today it's somewhat of a, of a, a buzzword uh, kind of a thing. But if you look at what's going on today with things like chat GBT, this is really opening up the eyes of people who previously were kind of looking at AI as, you know, not being real. And um, it, it is real. It has a long way to go. Um, but certain AI te- techniques are going to be used against data to allow analysts, people who look at data, 
uh, to be able to discern things that they couldn't discern before, or that it would take them a whole lot longer uh, time-wise to discern. Uh, so I, I think that's one of the things you're going to see, you know, the next really couple of years. Later on, the 5G capabilities that are going to come, you're going to be able to move data around the planet a lot quicker um, and facilitate that edge to core. So I think about that idea of the edge and in today's world, whether it's the war that's going on in the Ukraine, um, it's us protecting our humans who maybe are distributed around the world, doing all kinds of different security and defense. How is data being used at the edge today? Is there a limitation or a challenge we need to overcome to make those humans more effective or safer? If you think about edge to core, you, you initially jump to an IoT sensor at the edge, you know, moving data or processing data at the edge and then moving it back to the core. We almost have to take a step back from that and not get sucked into the buzzword bingo that's out there with edge to core because every vendor is like, oh, edge to core, we do that. You really should start thinking about how do I get the data asset to the right person? Right, no matter where they are on the globe. So you, you might have an intelligence analyst sitting at Langley, or you might have them in Afghanistan. They have to have that data. So where where can we process it quickly and then distribute it to the, the smartest person in the room, no matter where they are or what they're doing? Uh, same can be applied for movie, movie studios, right? You might not necessarily want to be processing your data in L.A. because of the expense that... The, the environmental expenses that go on out there, right, with power and, and cooling and whatnot, you might want to facilitate movement of that data somewhere else. So that your edge, your edge might be constantly evolving and shifting depending on how you look at your workflow, um, I guess is where I want to go with that conversation. You know, there's this, this whole concept, we talk about the edge, but we are also today more than ever talking about borderless technology. And... Um, you know, software without borders, kind of like doctors without borders, right? Um, so we don't really care where the processing is taking place so long as we can quickly get at what we need to get at. And um, that's the key. And so, you know, like Rob said, the analyst could be a language, the analyst could be, you know, in Afghanistan, the, the analyst could be up in the space shuttle, you know, whatever. And, um, and so... They need to be able to get at what they need to be able to get at when they need to be able to get at it. You can't, you know, back in the day, we say, okay, I need, I'm going to need to be able to access this data from, you know, this weird place. And our answer to them would be, okay, no problem. We'll stage that data. And anytime you make requests, uh, you know, we'll just let you know it's going to be 90 minutes before you're going to see it um, because of double satellite hops and all kinds of weird things that are going on. Um, you don't have to live that way anymore. <laughs> so it's a total game changer. I think that the idea of the CIA and the security measures that must be involved with the work that is being done there, this idea of software without borders, at least if I were responsible for it, I think would make me cringe a little. And how do you keep everything secure? Um, but on the other hand, you don't have a choice. You have to embrace it. And figure out a good solution. But how, how do you think about security in an environment like this, Bob? What it was built around was the fact that, oh, situational awareness, that's what it was. And, um, and so, you know, you get the analyst saying, hey, I need X, Y, Z. And if the analyst is sitting in Langley, then it's probably a no-brainer that they can get it. If the analyst is sitting in a McDonald's in Moscow, well, maybe yes, maybe no, maybe with caveats. Um, you know, it just, um, 
it, it depends. And, and that's how you had to do your security is you had to understand, you know, where were those requests coming from and not only where from, but who from, you know, is that really Rob? You know, it looks like Rob, but is that really Rob? And, um, and, 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 oh, by the way, does Rob have a gun pointed at his head? Um, and so you put mechanisms in place to handle all those things so that you have a, a, uh, you know, it's not a hundred percent guarantee, but you, much better likelihood of the right person seeing the right data in the right context. All right. And we're seeing a big push for zero trust um, kind of environments being pushed everywhere, right? So yep. that, that's going to help alleviate some of that challenge, hopefully. Yeah, it seems like those types of environments are evolving at breakneck speed right now. It's incredible to see the advancements that are happening. Mm-hmm. So as you think about the idea of being at the front lines or at the edge, um, what does the infrastructure look like today? Where is processing occurring now that commute, compute is a bit more of a commodity and can be found in a lot of places? Kind of maybe talk about the infrastructure and where the processing is occurring. Yeah, well, it's all over the map. Um, <laughs> you know, it just depends really on the organization, whether it's a you know government organization or even a private organization that is sort of global, how much money do they have to spend on infrastructure? Have they had to spend on infrastructure in the past um, as to how modern it is? Um, but for the, for the most part, what you see is um, you see a certain amount of compute that's, that's local to wherever the users are, um, whether they're remote or whatever. And, and then you've got some big backend infrastructure somewhere. Um, you know, as Rob pointed out earlier, a lot of the organizations who have these backend infrastructures are putting them in places that are, that are cheaper to manage them. Uh, so instead of LA, they're, they're going to, you know, the middle of Idaho or whatever. Um, and, and so the compute though then is a handoff between what's going on in the field and what's going on at, at we'll call it headquarters. Um, certainly works, not very efficient, um, and not, in some cases, not very speedy. Well, and often they're very siloed, right? The, the compute that might be at the edge or the storage that's at the edge could be totally different and not interoperate with anything at the core. So as, as we redesign our architectures, we have to focus on, okay, how can I provide an infrastructure layer or an ab- 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 abstraction layer that could traverse legacy systems and new systems um, and, and facilitate that data transport from edge to core. But like, to Bob's point about it's all over the place, it's, it's, a, it's a hot mess. <laughs> you think um, from a healthcare perspective, you know, trying to go to a uh, tribal nation and get healthcare information back to NIH campus is a challenge because there might not be network connectivity between the two. There might be certain laws in place that limit that data flow. Um, so it becomes very difficult. It's just not a technology problem. It's a, it's a multi-layer problem that we have to address going forward. Um, and I think it's going to get worse. You see in Europe, I was reading an article this morning, actually, um, you know, you got the cloud vendors, they want you to be all in, but they're, they're still located somewhere. And sometimes those boundaries are not where they should be. And we saw that with Ukraine and all, everything that's developed in Europe, people start shutting borders down and then they start shutting their IT borders down. Um, so you're going to probably see a, a proliferation of smaller cloud entities around the, 
around the globe at some point, just because we want to be more isolationist. Yeah, it's interesting. I was down in Costa Rica over the holidays, and all of our SaaS tools don't work down there. And I realized it was because there's no cloud regions in Costa Rica of the major cloud vendors. And we get kind of in these, you know, first world major economies so accustomed to the cloud always being there, but that's not actually the case, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. Um so we talked about this hot mess and the goals of where we need to get to. What are some of the solutions that you see to this problem? And as you think of IT modernization, what are the solutions or technologies? Maybe we'll talk about Hammerspace towards the end, because, of course, that's one of the ones probably on your mind. But who other than Hammerspace or what kinds of solutions do you think will be key? In the, in the most generic sense, um, it's virtualization and, um, you know, the ability to virtualize pretty much everything has revolutionized uh, how people think about compute. And, you know, the, the, the big cloud vendors got this early on. Uh, certainly VMware got it early on. Um, and, um, you know, if you have the ability to do everything in a virtual environment, assuming you have enough compute behind it to manage it all, and keep it from you know falling on its face, uh, then you can offer an awful lot to the users of these systems. You know whether it's storage or compute or you know whatever it is. So the virtual machines, the containers, the even like maybe dr- delivering high performance to remote users who are using those machines, all of those technologies. It sounds like you think are key. Right, um, Rob. What, what would you add to that? Uh, I'd probably go back to the 5G and the AI. Um, As we open up the easiness to move data across 5G, that's going to allow us to distribute the data better. Um, And then you add in AI because there's so much data, you don't know what's good and bad. You're going to need to heavily rely on AI to disseminate the data and then just send what's needed over. Um, You know, one of the the struggles in, in health IT to go back to that is so much data is being generated, it's hard to move it. Um, it, it almost has to stay where it is, but there's these rules and regulations that say you have to share it. So and how do you do that? So, it, you know, bringing on technologies that can, can peer into that remotely um, is going to be beneficial to that whole triad of technologies that's going to just converge and, and make all this operate together. So. Yeah, that idea of metadata being light and nimble and something you can move around and share without actually moving data seems to come up on this every single episode of this podcast that data is heavy, it is hard to move, but the metadata isn't. And that's the area that we really need to be focusing on. What is in that metadata, which applications or systems have access to it, not just human beings, and really evolving metadata, and whether that's the standards or the security, um, I think will be a big focus in the coming years to help with that. Um, Rob, I'm curious, what made you come to Hammerspace? I didn't tell you I was going to ask this question, but you know, you've, you've something in this whole world and of changing IT modernization drew you to this company. What, what was it that ca- captured you? Oh, the right answer is the people, right? I saw from outside the window that they were assembling a, a really core group of really strong uh, folks from engineering talent all the way out to the field sales t- technical side of the house. So that, that was, you know, that's a comfort to go into an environment like that. Uh, you want to surround yourself with smart people. And I think I did by making this move. But beyond that, the technology and, and the evolution of things that are happening in the field, right? You have all these legacy file system products that are out there that 
are getting a lot, little long in the tooth and they're complex and they're starting to break. We're seeing them break down at scale. Um, even though they say they can unlimited scale, there's, there's some, the wheels are starting to fall off the bus a little bit. So it's, um, it's, it was necessary for the storage industry as a whole to kind of move to newer file system technologies that are out there. Um, and we see it in a couple of new, new startup vendors that are out there outside of Hammerspace. But I, I looked at Hammerspace doing something uniquely different. They weren't just focused on building yet another storage island or silo. They were looking at how do I play well in the sandbox with everybody and add value to the customer by to, to your point about the metadata, abstract that and enrich it and then provide it out to the customers in a usable format so they can, they can do more than just build yet another island of, of data. Um, and it was just more of a holistic approach to, to things that I like to share. So <laughs> it made sense to be part of that. <laughs> and Bob, as an advisor at the company, um, I'm certain you have many opportunities to work as an advisor in different types of roles. What is it about Hammerspace that made it worth your time to spend time with us? It's not about Hammerspace per se, although I love the technology. Um, this, I've known the CEO at Hammerspace for a long, long time. And um, uh, I was involved in a couple other companies that he did. And um, uh, and really liked how how things you know were run and um, uh, you know and first got involved with him actually when I was still at, at CIA. Um, so so what really attracted me was when David said he was you know going to start up this new thing. Uh, he and I chatted about it at length and. Um, and I said, there, I, I said, well, I said, if you'll have me again, I'm, I'm happy to sign on as an advisor. I think I can help. And I think you're onto something here. So um, that's what brought me. Interesting. So as you look into the next few years, maybe, you know, one to three year kind of range or so, what technology improvements or advancements do you feel are coming? Or would you like to shout out to the technology community that need to be solved? What is top of mind? We've talked about this a little bit already on the podcast, but AI is certainly one of those. And this AI is going to uh, become much more advanced, um, especially as, as, we, as quantum compute becomes more of a commodity. Um, uh, you're going to see AI really take off. And, and there's some issues associated with that as well. Um, we're already seeing that with chat GBT. You know, how do you know when something's real and when it's not real? Um and but then you have to ask yourself, okay, I don't know, but does it matter? And um, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, depending on the environment you're in. Um, so uh, I I think AI. I think uh, you know Rod has mentioned five G, and certainly six G and even seven G are going to bring even even greater advances, um, and frankly, better security um, to the data movement problems that we have today. Is 5G available at the more remote parts of the world right now? I actually don't know how readily available it is everywhere. Yeah, it depends on how you look at it. Um, from a broad scale perspective, no, it's it's not. And fairly available across the United States and some of Europe. Um, but if you go down to Costa Rica, for example, um, or Africa. I'm certain uh, it's not on 5G. No, we're <laughs> We're not there yet. Is that important? Will technologies for internet everywhere, fast internet everywhere, be key to 
solving these issues, or is the capture of data at the edge possible with other technologies? All of this has always evolved over time, and we just improve upon it. But we've always had, you know, the the longstanding joke is the sneaker and a a FedEx truck outbeat any bandwidth we have on the planet. So um, (laughs) if you need to move lots of data quickly, you put it on a FedEx truck, right? Yeah, I think going back to where you're at, um, we just have to be more open about these, these technology advances. And almost get rid of the edge, right? Because the edge is going to evaporate eventually. If you if you have 5G around the, the globe, it, it becomes more of a, a community of openness um, that's going to allow us to do amazing things as humans, right? Because um, everything we do with the data just helps us grow and become better, it seems like. But it's also a double-edged sword because it can also kill us and destroy us, right? So I keep my eyes on the AI thing that Bob's talking about because it it, it, it's amazing to see the evolution, but it's also scary as hell. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's interesting on this podcast and various episodes, we've had conversations about how you get data from different places. There was um, a, a lady who is a um, genomic scientist, PhD, who was talking about doing genomics work in the field in Africa where you're very disconnected. And it was related to crop research and how do you get the data in? And then there was... Um, the conversations with some of the rocket companies who are getting data in from lower Earth orbit. And the guys who are working on the solar sail at NASA kind of chuckled and said, ah, data from lower Earth, that's easy. Try deep space. And it's interesting that, (laughs) you know, the edge and complexities of data movement is very, very different. And the pipe being a small straw to a larger straw um, is all relative. And it's interesting to see that that's the data access challenge is universally a real issue um, and coming back to lighten it as much as you can with AI, smart processing, um, smart metadata where you maybe just work with metadata instead of data. It seems to me that there's critical mass on those technologies to solving a lot of these things where physical networking perhaps can't. Um, but it comes up on every episode. Super interesting. Um, and then last question I want to ask you. So the idea of data silos and, you know, I always think of federal infrastructure being iron walls, you know, physical security, data centers that are hidden under the ground, things like that. Um, that and that has existed, but of course data is now existing in other places. What are the tools that you see to unify that data that could be in, you know, a deep, dark data center or it could be created in the other locations we've talked about. Um, how do you overcome data silos in these IT modernization projects so that an AI engine can access the data, for example? The first step in anything that happens in government has to be a policy somewhere, right? So kind of a directive from above. Um, and we're seeing that um, NIH is implementing a data sharing policy. It goes into effect this month or in January of 2023 that you know if you're going to get a grant from the NIH, you're going to have to provide a some kind of document that shows how you plan to share that data with other researchers around the planet uh, or with the NIH. Um, so that's that policy is going to drive a lot of the adoption of the technology that's underlying it, right, and, and opens up the window for some of this. Yeah, I think I think Rob's absolutely correct on that. Um, you know, policy is a big driver with this stuff. Um, in general, people, you know, I think, um, you know, Silicon Valley types are accepted from this, but uh, in general, people don't like change and because um, change is hard and uh, change means I have to go to Congress and, and ask for more money um, and be disappointed when they say no, do more with less. Um, 
yet it's going to be absolutely essential um, to, to keeping afloat and, and remaining competitive. And, you know, it's not that these federal agencies compete with one another, but they, they do compete in, in various ways. One is they compete for employees. And, you know, do you want to go work out place that's, you know, living in the 18th century? Um, I mean, maybe you do. You're a very different kind of person than I would be. But uh, uh, and so this is this has always been a problem, frankly. Um, and and how is the government going to actually attract uh, really good employees when they have a chance to go work for, say, well, I don't know, Hammerspace instead? And um, and, you know, I'd rather, you know, as a CIA person, I want to take advantage of that person inside, not not have to go through hammerspace to get to them. Uh, so in order to do that, uh, I have to remain relevant from a technology standpoint. Interesting perspectives. Um, thank you both for joining this podcast. I know that with everything getting started for the year, you're both very busy. Um, but thank you for taking the time. And I certainly wish you success in your various endeavors and may ask you to come back later in the year as some things change in the industry. <laughs> Sure. Thanks. Thank you, Molly. Happy to be here. Thanks for listening to Data Unchained, powered by Hammerspace. To learn more, visit hammerspace.com. If you have a guest you would like to hear on the show, email me at molly at hammerspace.com. Molly.